Well, this morning, uh, I want to get us ready for Thanksgiving. I think it's one of my favorite holidays that exist. I was actually praying this morning and thinking, would I sound heretical if I said Thanksgiving is more important than Christmas? Does that give you a little food for thought? Some of you right now are going, I'm, I'm getting out of this church. What the heck did they believe around here? Christmas is a holiday that acknowledges and presents what God has done. Thanksgiving is how you respond to it. Which one's more important? Do you have a theology that has God doing all kinds of stuff, putting himself on display in all kinds of moments in creation, showing up in our lives in incredible ways, but that goes unacknowledged? unresponded to and so in some sense for God to do Christmas and nobody to notice nobody to respond that's a horrible thing the worst that could happen in the universe so in some way Christmas needs Thanksgiving because it's kind of what it's revealing to us is the response to God element and so I would like for us, I'm kind of plant this seed in the ground. I would like for us to, to make a little bit more of a epic festival out of Thanksgiving, right? I think this time of year is a little bit what the nation of Israel felt like for the people of God in the Old Testament. You know, we, we, we're all going to acknowledge a day this week and we're going to set it aside and we're not going to let it get crowded out by other things and we're going to engage in in a certain way and there's going to be some other meetings coming up and then there's going to be the Christmas season and there's going to be celebration there like like these are going to be festivals that we interrupt our lives and our calendars to pay attention to and to embrace in meaningful ways that's what our holidays are like well that's what the old testament festivals were like you showed up in the nation of Israel, there were moments in which God interrupted the calendar. That's what those festivals were. And he installed moments, you know, whether it was Passover, whether it was first fruits, Pentecost, or whether it was the atonement. You set these times aside. You interrupted your schedule and you paid careful attention to this moment. Now that's what the holiday was intended to do. Like us, they got busy. It became routines and they squeezed this stuff in, in a less than meaningful way. All right. So we do the same thing. They did the same thing as well. But what I want to capture in this message, and I'm going to do part of it this week and part of it next week on bookends to Thanksgiving is th- these moments are intended to be something. These festivals, and I'm going to call it the festival of Thanksgiving is intended to be a moment of reflection and raucous contemplation and celebration, right? That's what this is intended to be. We're going to contemplate some things, but then we're going to respond to those things. And to, to fail to do either one is to fail to embrace Thanksgiving the way God designed it to be embraced. So I want to introduce us to the, the festival of Thanksgiving, uh, I want us to take a little bit of a Thanksgiving inventory so your notes are a little extra long. I hope everybody's got notes. I need you to have notes. I need you to be able to write in those notes. And I need you to be able to take those notes home with you this week and do some homework every day leading up to Thursday. All right? So I know you, I know you came to class today ready for a homework assignment. And you're very glad you're here this morning. Um, and then we're going to celebrate communion at the end of the service. And there's a particular reason why we're celebrating communion. How many of you guys were raised in a religious tradition where the celebration of communion was called the Eucharistic celebration? How many of you guys were raised in that? All right. Well, if you never knew why, you're about to find out why. That's called that. All right. Well, join me in this moment of, of recounting. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 just for a moment this morning. And we're going to pull our Hebrew friends into this moment as well. But in Romans chapter 1, we're about to meet... How big a deal gratitude is. So I want to talk about the disorienting impact of ingratitude. It's disorienting. right? I wrote in your outline there is something intrinsically helpful and reorienting about giving thanks. It's an exercise that contains contemplation, right, which is observation, awareness, 
reflection, intentionality, consideration, inventory, valuing, right? That's that's what contemplation does. And then celebration, which is acknowledgement, appreciation, applause, affection, delight, expression, right? That's what we want these bookends to be. So this week we're going to talk about contemplation and its association with Thanksgiving. And Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23, is perhaps one of the most important explanations for what went wrong on this planet. You and I live in a setting that there's some history before us. What happened here? You watched the daily news and you were from another universe and you showed up here and you're trying to figure out what went on here. Romans chapter 1 would explain it to you and this is how it would sound. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If, you, if you're new to our planet, you know what's going on here? The creator of this world is not okay with the way things are. And I'm being very soft in saying it that way. He's more than just not okay. He's powerfully not okay. He's deeply affected. He's offended. He responds with a word that's really uncomfortable. Wrath. Which is a word that describes holy anger. So if you're totally new to figuring out what's going on in the world, the God who created things stares into our existence and it is so gone astray from what he had created it to be that he is angry about that. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So what's going on here? Well, God created things and he he tucked himself and insights into himself into all kinds of aspects of creation. So you and I bump into the created world with all that's in it, physical things, emotional things, thoughts, people. God has talked to something of himself. Can I just say you bump into God on a daily basis? In a gazillion ways. And, and the weird thing is, right, This what this is testifying is, maybe you didn't even notice him. He was in a crowd, you walk right past him, right? I don't know what it's like, you know, when you meet somebody famous, you know, maybe if somebody you knew was really famous, they came up and they met you and they shook your hand, they look you in the face. I'm sorry, what's your name? Oh, it's so good to meet you, right? That's a greeting, right? That's, that's bumping into them and then they move on. But somebody could just kind of be in a crowd, just kind of bump, bump into you, right? Or they could just walk by and be in a hurry and just kind of give you a fist pump, right? There's a lot of ways that you and I are bumping into God. God has set himself to be encountered in all kinds of ways. Now, this is the story of humanity. But, but, you know, here we're a church. We belong to God. We're God's people. So he has shown up in noticeable ways for us. And the list is really, really long. But something happened here in this story. God showed up, put his invisible attributes on display in ways that they could genuinely be encountered. And listen, if you and I are going like, wait, 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 well, I don't remember seeing God. I, I don't remember bumping into him. Can I just tell you that's on you? Because the perfect God of the universe who made everything, he says, he, he put his attributes on display. His nature and his power are clearly perceived, clearly perceived. Well, I didn't notice it. Well, that's on you then. That's not on him. 
You may feel, well, God, I don't even know if God knows what's going on in my life. That's a misunderstanding on your part. That is not God being late, being insensitive, being too distant, being uninvolved, uh, not doing a good job of revealing himself. Listen, this place is a mess, not because of God. Right? That's on us. And then he says, here's, here's, you bumped into God and verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Now, can you just go with me for a second? Because I'm going to unpack the rest of this verse in just a second. But look what made headlines. God did all this stuff. Put it all on display, bumping into us left and right, informing our lives, touching our lives, revealing things about our lives, causing us to think, feel. God did all of that. And something went wrong, and this is what made headlines. Notice in here, sin doesn't get spelled out here, although it does in many other places, right? So this is not undoing the rest of the Bible. Satan doesn't get mentioned right here. What gets mentioned? A failure to honor God and to give him thanks. Of all the things Romans could have said right here, here's the headlines. God has broken out in creation. He's discoverable in all kinds of ways. His wonderful nature is all around us, fist bumping us left and right, greeting us. And we are responding to it or not. They have suppressed the truth. You know, one way that you suppress the truth is you just fail to acknowledge it. You don't even notice it. I'm not going out of my way to be anti-God, but I don't really notice that he's around anywhere. I don't notice what he's doing. I don't notice what he's imparted. And God says, hey, headline moment for the massive problem in this creation is a failure to honor God as God and to give him thanks. But instead, this is what happened. They became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Welcome to planet Earth. This is what's going on here. And this may be your first day. But this is the chaos that you are a part of. And something preceded this heavy moment. Because the world is going to slip into these two words. Futility and darkness. Right? I put a definition in your outline there. The word mateos carries the senses of vain, deceptive, pointless life. Futile existence. So futility is here, a deceptive life, a vain life, an empty feeling life is here on planet earth with us. And then there's this darkness. This word denotes darkness experienced as an enveloping sphere that has significance for existence by hampering movement or foresight, right? The ability to think about the future and to think our way into things that are good or causing anxiety or danger. Anybody here had any anxiety issues ever in your life? Maybe this week, this morning when you woke up, you felt a little anxious. Where'd that come from? It's, it's the darkness that's in our world. It, it does something to us. If light means potentiality, going into the dark means death. The realm of the dead is a dark realm. All right, this is, this is a weighty description of the world that we live in. But just back up one step from futility and darkness. And where are you? You're standing in ingratitude. That's what's right before this. They became futile and dark. What preceded that? A failure to honor God. And not giving thanks. So if you put it that way, giving thanks is a pretty big deal, isn't it? 
Theologically, giving thanks is a huge deal. I put a simple formula in your notes there. When God's activity and provision and self-revelation touches our lives, failing to honor and give thanks to God thrusts us into the disorienting condition of futility of mind and darkness of soul. All this creation and provision An intentional revealing of God to us is intended to be responded to, not suppressed. And yes, suppression is not just those who protest the things of God. Suppression is those who ignore them as well and don't make a big deal out of them. God intended us to make a big deal out of this stuff. Sam Crabtree has written an outstanding book that all of us, and you can get in line behind me. It's called Practicing Thankfulness. I desperately need to practice thankfulness. This is why we're doing this message this morning. Hopefully it helps you. Sam says, thankfulness is neither trivial nor inconsequential. On this one quality pivots the difference between maturity and immaturity. Stop there for a second because we've lived in this in Hebrews chapter 5 into chapter 6. The issue of you are again needing milk and not solid food. That whole issue of the immaturity of those in Hebrews. There's something about giving thanks that is a reorienting thing for us that brings about maturity. It's don't underestimate how powerful it is. He says, why do I, what do I mean by pivot? He says, well, a gate pivots on a hinge in that it swings one way to open the path and another way to shut you out. Wars can pivot on a single battle. So that one side decisively takes the upper hand when the outcome previously was in doubt. Ask Napoleon about Wellington at Waterloo or Hitler about parachutes at Normandy. The war seemed to be going in the one direction. Then wham, things took a sudden and decisive turn. Listen to this. Gratitude is pivotal in whether I'll be given over to folly. It is decisive. He says, more than a mere word, gratitude reveals each person's core. All right, go with this because this is deep. This is why we give you notes. You can take these home, read them, ponder them, pray on them, let God stir something even more deeply in your life this week. More than a mere word, gratitude reveals each person's core, his priorities, his presuppositions, his understanding of God and his ways. As Al Mohler puts it, how grateful we are is, quote, the key to understanding what we really believe about God, what we really believe about ourselves, and what we really believe about the world we experience. Accordingly, between gratefulness to God and indifference toward him lies the distinction between wisdom and folly, the pivot. Everyone's entire future swings like a hinge on whether thankfulness is lubricated to swing easily or if it's ignored, becoming encrusted by the rust and corrosion of our hearts, indifference, bitterness, or some self-inflated sense of entitlement. Thankfulness is not just a religious duty or a task on a list or something nice people do or a simple protocol of good manners to be taught to children. Rather, thankfulness is a powerful force. Yes, it is. It wins or loses the war for your future. When practiced, it works toward beauty and produces fruit. When ignored, it works towards ugliness and chokes out life. At stake is the vitality of every human relationship without exception. Sam, that's really weighty to describe gratitude. I don't know that you can add more weight to the issue of gratitude than what Romans chapter 1 does, does it? Here, let me explain to you how the whole universe became chaotic and began to spin out of control. And people began to exchange their value system to where they they worshipped this, which was just a created thing. It was never supposed to be worshipped. And all of a sudden, that's what they're finding. Like Eric was talking about. This week, I could have found value in something that captured me. And, and the worship shows up in categories like fear. All of a sudden, I'm afraid of not having that. 
I mean, I'm just gripped by fear. Well, how did that thing become so important to you? Well, unfortunately, I, I exchanged the glory of God for the glory of that thing. That's what I was doing this week. Well, what might have helped you? Honoring him and giving him thanks. That's what Romans 1 does to this. It puts some weight on this. Now maybe, oh yeah, I know though there's that systematic theology class you keep hawking and I haven't been to that yet. That would have helped. Yes, it would. Because it actually would inform you about things to be thankful for. It would let you see the universe that God has made and the attributes of God himself and the way that they're at work in the world and my heart could respond in gratitude. But listen, if you go to a systematic theology class and you are not growing in thanksgiving, there's something wrong. It's like having Christmas without having Thanksgiving. It's on the calendar. We're going to show up for it. We're going to acknowledge it's a big event. But we're not going to exactly contemplate it and celebrate it. Thanksgiving wants us to contemplate it and celebrate it. And we do this kind of stuff, right? We, we contemplate and celebrate things. How many of you guys have been to a concert ever in your life? You guys have been to see the Saints play. You've seen, well, that's it. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I know they're not doing that well this year, but oh, anyway. Uh, so why, why do you go to stuff like that, right? You go to a concert because somebody has this unique talent or gift or they 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 play stuff at an unusual level right they're they're really good and they and they find their way into your life they write songs that you remember and they begin to just stick inside of you and obviously you go to the concert and they play that historic favorite song from 1974 man and you look at the person next to you and you're you're affected by that aren't you memories come flooding back in the feel of that now all oh, that song man we're still singing that song all these years later and you just appreciate that right or you go to a sporting event and and you see stuff you contemplate how many, how many of you know that if, if, if you went to a, another country and watched their sporting event that you had never heard of, you'd have a really hard time cheering, right? Because you, you would have no idea what's going on. It's like, what, 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 wait, was that good? Was that good? And if you're having to ask that kind of dumb question to the person next to you, okay, good luck cheering, right? Oh, that was good. Oh, okay. Right? You don't own any of that, do you? I was just told that was good, so I'm clapping. But when you really understand the sport and that thing just happened in that game, you can contemplate that, can't you? And as you interact with it, something goes off in you as you watch these events. What if Romans chapter 1, it's, it's like a description of, of a God concert. It's like going to a God concert. Right? God is the band. God is the theater moments. God is the sporting events. And you go to this concert and creation has plays in it. And it has songs in it. And you get to hear and see something about God in all of creation. This is what God says. You're without excuse. There's like a symphony going on all around you. Playing songs that are eternal, that should do something to you. Listen, you know, if you go to a, what's her name? I know, I can never remember. Who's the popular girl these days? Everybody's going to see their, Taylor Swift. Thank you. It's, it's age, it's age. You go to a Taylor Swift concert. It's like, you know, nobody has to tell you to get your phone out and light it up and wave back and forth. And it's like, you just know this is big. This is a big event. Oh, there's no talent like this in all the world. Ah, everybody's come to this big giant event, right? You're there for someone's talent to go on display, for someone's song that's meaningful to be played. And you're going to respond to it. It's a concert. Right? Nobody has to tell you to be amazed when Michael Jordan scores 69 points against the Cavs. Because if you're a basketball fan, you get, that's a lot of points. That's a crazy night for a basketball player. Now, if you don't get basketball, you don't get 69 points. either. You're, right now you're going, is that good? You can't cheer about that. You don't know anything about it. Ah, moment in history. Tracy Porter 
intercepts Peyton Manning. Uh-huh. See, I don't know. No instruction needed is there. Do you, do you realize how much is going into that moment inside of you? How quickly your brain and your heart process that event? Because you knew in that moment, that interception exactly just sealed the deal. We are going to win now. No questions asked, right? So there's this moment where there's just, just this eruption. You contemplated something. You considered something. And in just a moment of time, because you know football and you know what an interception is and you know what a touchdown is, you factored all that in and came to the conclusion Truth was unsuppressed in that moment. We're winning the Super Bowl. And everybody high-fived and danced around and celebrated, right? Nobody had to tell you to do that. And then God does this concert event in creation. Makes himself known to us. To us, even more so, speaks to us through his word, truth, unsuppressed. What if Romans 1 sounds like this? For his performance has been clearly perceived. His performance has been clearly perceived and known, yet there was no enjoyment, no delight, no applause, no celebration, no being overwhelmed, no honoring, no thanksgiving. That's Romans chapter 1. You and I are desperately in need of this event called Thanksgiving. We need an epic experience of Thanksgiving. We need a festival installed in our lives. We need to do this on a regular basis. So I want to just run through some thoughts on on contemplation first. And then we're going to take a little bit of an intentionality inventory. You know, we were interacting with our friends in Hebrews. And their story has been one of dire straits. They're in a tough spot. Life is really really difficult and hard. And they're going to get prescribed something in order to help them endure, right? That's, that's the whole nature of what we hear in Hebrews. And what they're going to get prescribed is consider Jesus, right? Over and over again, we've heard this back in Hebrews chapter two, verse 18 for because he himself has suffered when tempted, right? And we're tempted when life gets hard, he is able to help Those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Right? That's a contemplation word. Be really good at contemplating Jesus. Right? And if you know football, you know that it's not likely that Peyton Manning, Hall of Fame quarterback Peyton Manning is going to throw an interception, a pick six nonetheless, at a vital point in a football game. Now, if you don't know who Peyton Manning is, you don't get to enjoy that moment very much, do you? But see, when you've studied something, you've become skillful at contemplating the moment, right? This is what, consider Jesus. This is the whole frustration, a little bit of the the book of Hebrews, when the great high priest, oh yeah, I forgot. I can't really talk to you guys about that because you you just don't get it. You, You need milk instead of solid food. But what you need right now is to be able to seriously contemplate Jesus. You need to be able to think about him at an incredible level because then your heart will change inside of you and thankfulness will go off in you. I quoted last week from Jeremiah. I'm going to give you the rest of that piece because Jeremiah's got a tough moment in his life. Prophet called to lead God's people, speak to them. Nebuchadnezzar shows up, turns Jerusalem upside down, inside out. It's horrible. The situation is absolutely horrible in every category of life. And he describes it this way in Lamentations 3 verse 16. He says, he has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So is my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers and is bowed down within me. You might want to make an asterisk right next to that. Just a point to notice about your own existence. Your soul does continually remember something. 
Your soul is a contemplative thing inside of you. It contemplates something. It thinks about something all the time. So in this moment, the the news of the surroundings for Jeremiah have overwhelmed him. And his soul is just constantly contemplating how horrible this is. And, and, And you can identify, right? I mean, you've been in moments where you just can't put some distance between you and your trouble. It's overwhelming and it's everywhere and it's in too many categories. And in that moment, he says this, verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What's he doing right here? Contemplating. In the midst of his noise, his difficulty, his pain, this I call to mind. That's an act of contemplation. He thinks about something that he needed to hear. Right? This is what it looks like to unsuppress the truth. Right? We are, I mean, God has given us a book. Now, I, I, these aren't rivals, but they're companions in us. But, you know, apart from the Holy Spirit and the book, these are the most sure things we have about our walk with God and about knowing him, the Holy Spirit and the book. We've got a lot of other things in our world. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, by the way, right? But not like this is telling of the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit is bringing this to life to us. So isn't it interesting That the God who wants to interact with our lives has chosen a book through which to do it? That makes this book rather important, isn't it? But it also makes something simply true about us. We're meant to think. We're meant to contemplate things. We're we're beings created to engage. Stuff is going to bump into us. Life and creation are going to bump into us. We're meant to contemplate them. And we've been given a book. To help us and the Holy Spirit to help us contemplate those things. So that, that's Jeremiah's moment in all this misery. But this I contemplate. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And he, he's going to do what the Hebrews are doing. He's going to consider Jesus. That's what Jeremiah was doing. He's in his crisis. He's considering Jesus just like those guys in Hebrews. Remember we looked at this verse briefly last week. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to what? To the hope set before us. Well, again, you got to know, know football, right? You got to know what an interception is. You got to know why this is a hope. You got to know something here. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have something. Consider that. Consider Jesus. We have him as an anchor for our soul. Now, now Can I tell you why you're going to need an anchor? Because your life is in a storm. You are at sea and a hurricane has come upon you. That's why you're going to need an anchor. Something that is not going to give way in the midst of that. And can I just say this to us as Americans who think if you're really spiritual and you really know God, all the troubles go away. And and do you know how you know that you're not right with God? Life is hard. All right. Welcome to being an American idiot. Right. Jeremiah is a called man of God, a prophet given by God into that moment. The guy who said, it's like gravel in my teeth, this experience. What, did Jeremiah do this? Is that Jeremiah's fault? No, no, no. He just happened to be a man of God in a moment in which God was doing something on planet Earth. That had to do with his wrath and his displeasure for humanity. And he was bringing judgment in that moment. Hey, can I just warn us? Do you guys think that we will live in a land that never experiences judgment? Do we think the God who is not always pleased with humanity will not tamper with his world? And you and I won't be in that moment when he tampers with it in an unpleasant way. And we might be able to describe our own lives. It's like grinding gravel in our teeth, bitterness and wormwood. 
Listen, listen, some of us aren't called to be prophets here, but you're called to be parents. You're answering the call to be a parent right now. And that's what life is feeling like for you right now. Like, like this is like gravel in my teeth. This is just a bitter season. You know, whatever you're called to in God, it, it could be your... You're called to be a doctor. You're called to be a teacher. You're, you're a business owner. And, and life is in a season, in a moment, because you live in a world that suddenly the economics of our world and the inflation of our world is touching things in a way that your life does not feel pleasant right now. You'd be one of our senior saints among us. And, and life is just a, a new complication of how, how, do, how do I make my retirement work? My insurance just went out of this world. And, and then inflation is this. And then I went to the doctor and I never had this before. Now I have this. And it's one of those things after another. Now listen, is that indicative that, that God's not with you? No, no, you need anchors because life has storms in it. Don't buy some health and wealth message that somehow, if you just believe right and behave right, you'll escape all the adversity of life. No, you will not. You know how you escape the adversity of life? You die and go to heaven. No adversity there. It's a wonderful place. But while you're here, in this world, you will have tribulation, right? So you're not out of bounds. But what what do I do in the midst of this? I need to get really good at Thanksgiving. It needs to be a skill. Not something that I need my mom to remind me to say thanks. Say thanks. This message will do that for some of us. Right, we're going to leave here and it's like, oh yeah, I need to be more thankful. And so like for a week, we're going to say thanks because our mom reminded us. This needs to be a skill because it reorients, it resets something about us in our soul in a powerful way. You cannot be thankful without contemplating something and establishing its value in your heart. I celebrated Tracy Porter because I knew the value of what he just accomplished. That interception just made us Super Bowl champions, right? When I consider Jesus, what he did for me is a little bigger than the Super Bowl that I get to contemplate in this moment. I'm going to need to know what he did for me that needs to reach me and make sense to me, right? All right, a couple of thoughts from Mr. Crabtree, and then we're going to take communion together. He says, not only our salvation, which is incalculable worth and deserving of full acceptance, but all that everyone has is from the hand of God. All right, now, I'm going to want you to do an inventory here. If you guys, if you guys have your notes, this is your assignment to take home. You're going to see towards the back half of those categories of the mercies of God. Right? That's what Jeremiah considered. In the midst of grinding gravel in his teeth, he considered that the steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He had, he had a list going in his mind. And I want us to get a list going in our minds, right? So this is how we take inventory. But listen to what Sam says. All that everyone has is from the hand of God. Quote, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and Everything in Acts. God brings us into existence and sustains us with or without our awareness. We are thus recipients 24-7. In every aspect of our lives, we're beneficiaries. How fitting then for beneficiaries to express flabbergasted appreciation. That's good. To their benefactor. And how wrongheaded to fail to do so. Such appreciation or lack thereof is not benign like whether you part your hair on the right or the left. No, like a continental divide determining whether adjacent raindrops flow to the Atlantic or to the Pacific. Gratitude and ingratitude are a dividing line bringing vastly different outcomes. He says, Paul rhetorically asks the Corinthians and us, what do you have? That you did not receive? The correct answer being obvious. If everything we have is received, then the giving of thanks for everything is 
fitting. God has not only supplied everything we currently have, but in the future, he'll supply everything we will ever have. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There will never be an end run around his provision. If God doesn't supply something, we won't have it. There will never be an occasion when we rightly think, I don't need to thank God for that because it didn't come from him. That sounds crazy when people say stuff like that. Like that makes sense, Sam. The soul that is vibrant and aware will gratefully recognize God's gifts more and more as more and more of his grace arrives. God owes us none of this. He never has. Not a thing. All that we have is by his grace. Undeserved, unnerved, and even unsolicited. God has supplied each of us with a zillion things we never requested or had the good sense to order in advance. Did you request two kidneys? Tear ducts that lubricate your eyeballs? An ozone layer around the planet? Synapses in your brain? No, he just gave them to us. Such incalculable generosity calls for a response how are we responding well the right response is gratitude thankfulness all right so here's our exercise before we take communion together you've got some pages there with some categories in them and some space to write in them so there's 13 categories there's no reason why there's 13 i just stopped at 13 But there are things in your life, and I won't read this passage because we kind of hung out in it, but, you know, like spiritual mercies. There are these mercies given by God, elaborated on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. The mercies of God that have come to us, and they're weighty, and they're big, and they're powerful. And they could easily be bumping into us and not even being acknowledged by us. Not honoring God. There's things like being chosen in him from the foundation of the world. That's in that list. Do you contemplate that as a mercy of God? That God chose you in him from the foundation of the world. Forgiveness is in that list. That everything that I have done that would separate me forever from God and make me the object of his wrath has been completely forgiven. I'm, I'm bumping into that when I read God's word. And, and yet I may not be acknowledging that I just bumped into it. I may not be stopping and pausing and gasping for air and thinking, oh my God, how significant is my forgiveness? Before I'm on to complaining about the fact that my car tire is bad and I need to make an appointment to get it fixed and I'm absorbed in that. But look at the categories here. There's eternal mercies. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. There's the fullness of the presence of God. It's coming. We'll never have a diminished experience of God. It will be full and uninterrupted. There are temporary mercies in our lives. Things that God has chosen just to bless us with. Think through your life. There's education. This is a room full of educated people. You do realize the rest of the world not so but we're all we're educated we drove a vehicle here we will go home to electricity there's good food that we're going to eat today when we leave here today there's music that we get to enjoy i mean they're, they're, these are just things to stop and you bumped into god you understand nobody creates music without god giving them the ability to make sound do what it does when a song goes off inside of us. That's a gift of God for us. It's like taste buds. You get to take in his creation and not just have it be this bland experience. It's like, mm, oh my gosh, flavor. In that moment, that's God doing that. 
And I might be bumping into that every day, which I am. I eat every day. And not remembering. That's the mercy of God in my life. Physical mercies. Your health. Strength. The abilities and talents that you have in this age. You know, global favor and mercies. We don't think this way we're Americans, but we have comforts and conveniences and prosperity and we have resources and we have health care and we have air conditioning. Can I get an amen? Do you know how many, much in the world does not have air conditioning? When you turn that on, does the mercies of God go off in your mind? I spoke with a man at the Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference that you know, Alan and I think Eric as well have, have connected with a man named Barnabas who is a church planter and leader in Nepal. And he's just explaining to me the, the, the caste system in Nepal and what it's like. Because his, his wife is an untouchable. So if you, you, you can't touch these people. You can't get around them. If they come into your house, they have defiled your house. A cat or a dog can come into your house. But one of these people cannot come into your house. And if you do, you, then you have to clean your house with uh, cow manure and urine. Can you imagine? The experiences of life, as he described, needs. They had an earthquake there recently. And this people's homes just crumbled to nothing. They're just not built for earthquakes. You and I don't know those experiences, do we? We know nothing of something like that. The mercies of God are new every morning. And so I want to do this as we, as we approach. I want you to take this home. I want it to be an assignment for you. Take two or three of these every day and just fill them in. And just, just brainstorm your life and think through, where do I see the mercies of God in this category of my life? And just think through how God has shown up in your life. You've bumped into God. Don't, don't be a Romans 1 person who fails to honor God as the source of that and to give thanks to him, right? To give thanks, to express your sense of valuable gratitude for what that is in your life that came from him, right? So that's why I love this week. Thursday, big meal, love that too. But leading up to it, let your devotional times this week be about giving thanks, about stirring up a sense of deep gratitude and noticing the ways I'm bumping into the mercies of God around us. But where do we get the idea of Eucharistic celebration? Well, that word in Romans 1, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or Eucharisteo or give him thanks. That's the word for what we're about to do here this morning. So part of what we do in our communion celebration is, is we contemplate. It's a moment to remember something. It's like the festivals God created throughout the year. You come to that date on the calendar and it's installed. Passover had all kinds of imagery in it. They were supposed to remember something about God. But not just remember, but to give thanks. To respond to that revelation and insight with a heart of gratitude. Well, what we do this morning is exactly that. We are contemplating something. The mercies of God have been opened to us by the Savior. Him coming and taking on human flesh recognized in that bread that we're going to eat. Him dying in our place. Tearing down the dividing wall and forgiving our sins to restore us to the Father is in that cup we're about to drink. The mercies of God, this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. All right, so can I get you to do this? We're going to going to get up. Your ushers will help you guys. I think you're going to exit to your right and then you're going to go back to your seats uh, one row at a time. But while you're sitting there, can you let Thanksgiving build up in your heart to a explosive level? Don't, don't suppress the truth. Awaken it in you.
so that when you take this, it, it is a meal of thanksgiving. It is Eucharistio, a moment of deep contemplated remembrance, a moment bigger than the Tracy Porter moment, right? So if you came to life when Tracy Porter did that, this is bigger than that. So if you need to run around the room, that's okay. High five the person next to you, totally acceptable. Be deeply grateful, absolutely. All right, you guys can come. You guys, hold on to your emblems until we can take communion together. I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your Son, who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, I seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son, drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, your blood, your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once you're in a Seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace. Your mercy and your kindness know no end. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, your blood, your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once you're in of me, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank
lover of my soul I want to live for you lover of my soul I want to live for you your blood your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once you're in a me, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. His invisible attributes are seen in the things that he has created. God uses tangible stuff to bump into us. Right? You're kind of holding a powerful fist bump right here in your hands. Where God makes contact with us by becoming one of us. This bread represents the incarnate God who became one of us. What invisible attributes come to life as you hold this in your hands? Humility, humbled himself, radical love that knows no distance, it will not come. You, you get how crazy it is for the eternal God to get contained in something like human flesh. And I wonder whether he'll show up when I need him to, in a way that I need him to. Will he go to that length? Can he fix this situation? Would, would he do that for me? I don't know, would he? Lord, thank you. All the value represented in those words for us, recognizing you have done something of supreme eternal value to us. Oh, Lord, our bank accounts are swelling. Our future hope is immovable. So, Lord, as we take this bread, we say thank you. This cup. It's an illustration. It illustrates the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And maybe if the Apostle Paul or Jesus visited New Orleans, he might, he might use a Tracy Porter illustration. The day the Son of God intercepted the wrath of God and took it all the way back for an eternal score for me. Does that make sense? It's a cup of celebration, isn't it? Let's drink this together. Oh, Lord, we have a week in front of us, valuable week, headed towards a day called Thanksgiving. Lord, would you make us really, really good at that? Really, really skilled. Maybe we start our own podcast, go on a talk show. And our topic is Thanksgiving. And we can talk and talk and talk for hours. Because we're so mindful of how the mercies of God are new every morning. They're all over our lives. We bump into God everywhere. So Lord, awaken us from dullness. We don't want to be like those who suppress the truth. We want to celebrate the truth, Lord. So would you take us into the categories of our lives, maybe each day this week in a little devotional time, and awaken the value-jarring reality of what you've done for us and your mercies coming to us. These things, Lord, we call to mind. Therefore, we 
have hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys. Those of you guys watching, we miss you. Praying for a great week of Thanksgiving this week and we'll see you next week.